and welcome to Speaking Startup, Missouri Business Alerts podcast covering the news and issues important to Missouri entrepreneurs. I'm Jack Anstein. And I'm Casey Murray. On today's episode, we'll look at the recent growth of virtual doctor's appointments. And later, we'll look at how one Missouri company has developed an app to provide meals for those in need. Plus, we'll have this week's headlines, digits, and other startup news you need to know. So what are we waiting for? Let's speak startup. So, Jack, do you have any fun plans for Valentine's Day? I'm not really celebrating Valentine's Day in particular, but my birthday is a few days after, so on Valentine's Day I'll be home for the weekend to visit my family. How about you? Well, I won't be celebrating Valentine's per se either, but I will be celebrating Galentine's Day, which if you're a Parks and Rec fan, you'll know all about, but it's basically just like the friendship version. That sounds like so much fun. What are you going to be doing? We're going to go to a local cat cafe in Columbia, which I've never done before, so I'm excited. Me neither. I've been looking into that have been really wanting to go, so I think that sounds like the perfect way to celebrate. Well, with that, let's get to the headlines. St. Louis-based venture capital firm Lewis & Clark Ventures has raised nearly $51 million for its second technology investment fund. Lewis & Clark Ventures focuses on backing technology startups in the late seed to Series B stage. The firm has not yet made any investments from the fund. Managing Director Brian Hopcroft says he sees opportunities to invest in healthcare and food service businesses that address needs created by the pandemic. Digital Sandbox KC, a program that provides proof-of-concept resources to support early-stage businesses, has announced the latest Kansas City tech startups joining its roster. Among the additions, it's Splitsea, which makes an app designed to help people to split large shared bills. Specific funding amounts were not disclosed but the startups involved may request up to $20,000 from Digital Sandbox KC. St. Louis-based election technology company No Inc., whose technology was used in nearly a third of counties in the nation last year, has acquired South Dakota-based B-Pro. The acquisition adds 450 jurisdictions to No Inc.'s system and opens the door for the company to expand into voter registration, campaign finance, and more. The acquisition comes after No Inc. received an investment of over $10 million in November from Clayton-based private equity firm Herman Companies. And Post Holdings is creating a special purpose acquisition company, also known as a blank check company, created with the intention of acquiring another company and taking it public. It's viewed as a faster and easier path to going public than an initial public offering. Post Holdings, the St. Louis area packaged goods company, plans to raise $400 million for a future acquisition. Jack, have you ever done a virtual doctor's appointment? No, though I know lots of people have since the pandemic started. Exactly. Telehealth has experienced huge rates of growth because of the pandemic. It was already a growing field before, but the coronavirus has really given it a boost. What does that mean for the industry? I spoke with Kansas City entrepreneur and telehealth startup founder Shelley Cooper, along with some others, to find out more. It's no secret at this point that the coronavirus pandemic hasn't affected everyone equally. It's been hard on some industries, but great for others. In some instances, it's even accelerated innovation. According to Dr. Shelley Cooper, telehealth is one of those lucky industries. It's really expanding. Uh, the COVID 
pandemic has caused an expansion in the use of telehealth and telehealth services. Cooper founded her first telehealth business, Diversity Telehealth, in Kansas City in 2014. Diversity Telehealth is a consulting company that works as a bridge between healthcare providers and their customers, specifically for customers that have historically experienced a gap in care. She also founded a telehealth startup in 2019 called SureShow, which helps connect doctors to telehealth patients when in-person clients don't show up for their appointments. And she runs a charity that helps underprivileged populations access telehealth. Cooper says she initially saw promise in the industry because of an increasing demand for health care, but a shortage of doctors. But back then, there were a lot of skeptics. Telehealth is now a $3.5 billion industry. In 2014, it was only worth about half a billion, according to market research company Ibis World. Before the pandemic, it was like I was mentioning, telling people, you know, what telehealth is. And it's like, you know, to me, it felt like it was falling on deaf ears. Ron Holder, the chief operating officer at the Medical Group Management Association, an organization that advises managers of medical practices, says that even a few years ago, use of telehealth was sparse. In 2016, I think less than 1% had ever used any type of telehealth services. I want to say it was around a quarter of 1% actually that had used it, whereas shortly after the pandemic hit full swing last spring, 97% of our healthcare leaders Holder says that before COVID hit, about 13,000 people across the country on Medicare said they had used telehealth services recently. After COVID's arrival, around May, 1.7 million had. U.S. physicians participating in telehealth was around 18% in 2018, according to surveys done by medical staffing firm Merritt Hawkins. Now, close to half of physicians are participating. This is partly due to people not wanting to go into offices or not being able to but it's also because old barriers to telehealth have been taken down. A year and a half ago, when we were first really putting this into practice, the telehealth reimbursement guidelines were not as flexible as they are right now. They've been relaxed because of COVID. Payment has been one of the biggest question marks in the developing industry. Some insurance plans haven't covered telehealth visits in the past, or doctors weren't sure if they should bill for the full cost of an in-person visit. Billing the same amount for a remote visit as for an in-person visit is known as parity. With the pandemic, telehealth billing rules were made more comprehensive, and this could make telehealth easier to access in the long term. Telehealth is here to stay, and now that Medicare, Medicaid, CMS has relaxed some of the guidelines and they've increased the parity laws, it's just opening up the, the floodgates for the providers of not only telehealth services but also remote patient monitoring. However, once the pandemic is over, that could mean a big drop-off in telehealth, since face-to-face visits will be back in force. But neither Cooper nor Holder is concerned. You know, I think that you're going to see providers and practices that when and if they can get their volume back in a a face-to-face kind of setting, that's going to be what they're they're going to want to do. Um, The successful practices will be able to do both. Holder says if you graphed it out, there would be a huge spike in telehealth expansion over the pandemic, and then it would decline a little. But he thinks it will then continue to rise at a slower rate. The data is on his side. Though the industry's value has shot up, it was steadily growing long before the pandemic. Cooper also agrees. It declines, but it's a relatively um, low decline because 
now that there are more people aware of what telehealth can do and they see it as a more viable option, they can, they can have that as a, not necessarily a replacement, but a support in their healthcare journey. Now that more people know about telehealth, it could become more and more integrated into the traditional health system and fill gaps that traditional medicine has long struggled to address. With Diversity Telehealth, Cooper has used telemedicine to try and expand to underserved communities and rural populations. As the industry expands, people will be able to decide for themselves if telehealth works for them. Let's now turn our attention to a St. Louis-based business that's created an app to combat food insecurity called Gift-A-Meal. Hiding food insecurity with an app, how does that work? Gift-A-Meal uses a take-a-photo-to-give-a-meal system. It partners with restaurants, and anytime someone takes a photo of their order at one of those restaurants, the business will donate to a local food bank. Founder Andrew Glantz said he got the idea from the buy-one-give-one model used by businesses like Tom's Shoes, and eyeglass retailer Warby Parker. Has Gift-A-Meal been successful in providing meals so far? So far, the company's provided over half a million meals, but there's still a lot of people in need with food insecurity on the rise during the pandemic. Missouri Business Alert reporter Bayou Sue spoke with Glantz to get the full story. Gift-A-Meal's founder and CEO, Andrew Glantz, thank you for joining us today. Could you first introduce to us how the concept of take a photo to give a meal works? Mm-hmm. So uh, the way the concept works is pretty simple. So people just download the free Gift-A-Meal app on their phone for iPhone or Android. And then all they need to do is take a photo of their order from one of our 200 plus partner restaurants to give a meal to somebody in the community. So it's totally free for people to do. And this is all funded by restaurants paying us a monthly subscription as a mix of marketing and giving back. And so whenever you take a photo of your order from one of these restaurants, whether it's dining or takeout, we make a donation to a local food bank to give a meal to someone in need in the community. And how did the idea come about? I came up with this idea when I was actually a student at Washington University in St. Louis. I had an internship at a venture capital firm one summer, and I was talking with the other intern about how people discover restaurants and how millennials especially like to make purchases based off their values. And so looking to see how we could drive traffic to restaurants through a socially conscious incentive, I was inspired by companies like Tom Shoes and Warby Parker with the buy one, give one model and look to see, okay, how can we combine that with the incentive to go to one of these restaurants and uh, saw that the food banks were using this meal metric of saying for every dollar you donate, we could provide 10 meals or four meals or whatever their metric was. And was like, wow, it's a really big impact at a low cost. And uh, can we utilize that to do a semi buy one, give one model? Um, and so came up with that idea and started to run it by a couple of restaurants, put my savings into it and started the company when I was still a student. And that was in October, 2015, and then graduated in May, 2017, and I've been full-time on it ever since. And what are the major achievements that Gift-A-Meal has made so far? Mm-hmm. That's a good question. The biggest one is that we've just surpassed over half a million meals provided to those in need in our community. Um, And so that social impact, especially from us, we're a for-profit social venture. And so being a for-profit company able to make that type of impact uh, really helped show me that uh, profits and purpose can be consistent goals and you can both do well while doing good for the community. Um, So that's a really big one. Uh, 
Um, you know, the other things is just like, you know, we've survived five years as a company. A lot of companies don't make it that long. So making it to five years, getting over 200 partner restaurants, over 40,000 app users and over half a million meals are all really exciting milestones. And, um, you know, so there's a lot of these great accomplishments we've had along the way. Uh, but really what that boils down to is how many meals will be provided and how many restaurants are we serving. And like, how did the COVID-19 impact gift meal? Yeah, I mean, the pandemic just devastated the restaurant industry. So, you know, we were right there alongside everybody else in mid-March. And we were trying to think, okay, what can we best do to support these local restaurants during this really difficult time? And then also, uh, with since we're so mission-driven, we noticed that food insecurity was on the rise at the early stages and still now in the pandemic. So what could we do there? Um, because before the pandemic in Missouri, it was one in seven children faced daily food insecurity. Um, now it's one in four. Uh, and so that's really high and is not something that we deem as acceptable. And so we want to see what we could do for both the restaurants and for the food insecure. And so we pivoted the business to allow people to take a photo from home of their takeout or delivery orders, where it used to just be for dine-in. Uh, we launched a podcast called Food on the Table on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and Google Podcasts to share the stories of what the restaurants were doing. We published multiple blog articles and promoted in local Facebook groups what restaurants were doing for curbside pickup and takeout and special offerings to drive incremental revenue their way. Uh, and we also launched a $5,000 matching donation campaign that we blasted out to our users where we matched up to $5,000 in donations to a local food bank. And we were able to raise over $22,000 uh, for children in need through that effort. Uh, and so that was something that was really great to see. Now, from the business perspective, we paused all new sales uh, through June. And so that was really tough to not have any new revenue coming in because, you know, we get money from the restaurants paying the monthly subscription, but we didn't want to be asking them for money if they were struggling to keep the lights on. So we paused everything through June. Um, and also for our current partner restaurants, we gave the offer to them if they were struggling, then we would waive their normal monthly subscription. So, you know, through waiving that monthly subscription for the current restaurants and not doing new sales, we had a big decline in revenue. Uh, luckily, a PPP loan that we received ended up helping to cover some of that lost revenue um, and keep us having all of our team members on board. Uh, but it was definitely a hit for the company and we were more in maintenance mode than growth mode. Uh, but since we've started signing up restaurants again in late June, early July, uh, our sales closing rate of signing up a restaurant when we meet with them is actually higher now than it was pre-pandemic. So a silver lining of this terrible crisis that we're all in is that people are becoming more socially conscious and are being looking to support socially conscious businesses. Um, and so that's been really great when we're looking at promoting our restaurants that care so much about doing good in their community. And is there anything else that you'd like to share? Yeah, I mean, I guess if you just, everyone could listening could download the free gift to meal app on iPhone or Android. Um, you know, for every person that downloads the app, we give a meal to someone in need right off the bat. So you don't even have to be ordering from a restaurant yet to give a meal. Uh, and then next time you place an order, you can just scroll through the gift to meal app, find a restaurant on there, look through the photos other people have taken of their food from the restaurant, see if you like it. Place your order to that restaurant and once you get it, take a photo on the gift and mail app. Really simple uh, and we'd really appreciate it.
get to the digits of the week, the numbers that matter most in Missouri entrepreneurship. My digit is $100 million. Why is that your digit? Well, I picked it because it's about broadband, which is really important to telehealth expansion, and we talked a lot about that in this episode. Illinois-based I-3 Broadband is expanding into St. Charles County with plans to invest $100 million to build broadband there. The company provides fiber optic internet to homes and businesses and will now expand into several new communities across the country. The expansion is expected to create over 100 new jobs. What's your digit? My digit is $4.7 million. What's that about? Governor Mike Parson's budget plan will designate $4.7 million of money generated by the newly operating medical marijuana businesses to improve veterans' homes, specifically for Wi-Fi to aid with telehealth which has been a consistent theme of this week's episode. The plan follows disagreements over the past year about who should get to make decisions about the new revenue stream and highlights the possibilities and conflicts generated by the new marijuana ecosystem in Missouri. That just about concludes our episode. We just need our closing thought. Let's listen to what Ron Holder, Chief Officer at the Medical General Management Association, has to say about getting doctors to see the possibilities of telemedicine. Uh, I would just encourage uh, physician practices and, and um, leaders of healthcare systems to, you know, think about what the needs of the patient and different needs of the different parts of the, the patient population because there is going to be this need, there is this opportunity, and we have to, as a healthcare system, think about the way things need to be in the future in order to do what is right versus sort of protecting what we were. That's all for this week's episode. This has been Speaking Startup from Missouri Business Alert. This episode was produced, edited, and hosted by Casey Murray and me, Jack Anstein. Our theme music was produced by Elliot Bowman. We'll speak to you next time.